the FedEx guy keeps delivering my neighbor's Amazon purchases to my house. Um, it wouldn't be so bad, uh, but he orders the heaviest things of all time. And I don't mind. I love my neighbor, and I like to. I don't mind bringing the stuff to him. But I asked him one day. I was like, "Are you having dead bodies delivered to my house?" I mean, they're huge, massive things. One day there was a a gigantic pressure washer that he spent nine hundred dollars on. I'm gonna be honest with you. In a weaker moment, I was like, "Oh, it didn't make it. Okay, <laughs> my house." Then they he delivered. They delivered this giant rug made out of burlap that was the size of an NFL linebacker. And I <laughs> drug that thing over to his house. Anyway, it happened again this week. A uh, a package got delivered to my house. This one, thankfully, was small, but still weighed seven tons. And I got it in the car and drove it over to his house, which if you've ever been to my house, there's there's our house here, and I live down a, a dirt road. Uh, you know, sometimes it's mud. A lot of times it's, it's mud. And there's a thicket between my house and my other neighbor's house. So I went around about and came through, delivered the package. His wife was very thankful, and I said, no problem whatsoever. I wanted to be like, what did you have delivered? Like, is it just lead bars? Why is it so heavy? And I dropped it off, and as I was leaving, I went. I was going to go back through the little dirt path through a thicket to get to my house, and I was stopped by a donkey in the road. Now, I'm not used to that. I'm not used to donkeys in my path. I'm just being honest with you. Maybe you are. If that's you, God bless you. But the donkey <laughs> was right there, and I froze, and I was like, there's a donkey. <laughs> I think I even said it out loud, like, there's a donkey between me and my house. Why is this happening? And I know the guy had donkeys, and but there's usually a fence containing said donkeys. However, that fence is no more. And then I thought, oh my gosh, my neighbor's donkeys have gotten out. What do I do as a neighbor? Do I help him? Do I try to get his donkeys back in? And thank God, as I am mulling this over, he emerges from a thicket. Hey, roll the window down because I want him to think I'm not not stalking your donkey, man. Just dropped a package off at your house of your lead bars, you know. And I said, hey, I just dropped a package. He laughed. Oh, yeah, thanks. And he said, come here, donkey. And the donkey just got out of my way. And I continued in my house. This happened. I, this is more a therapy session for me, getting that out. Like, this is so weird. What he had done is he had removed the pieces of the fence for a time to let the donkey go over and, and take care of it, to let it eat some of the wild grass that it was growing up. And he was just letting the donkey get some exercise, and I, I guess they need that. I don't know. But it was appropriate because this, this today we are going to continue in the I Am statements. We're going to talk about God as a shepherd, a, a person who cares for the sheep of his pasture. And this brought it right to my attention. This man was out in his field taking care of animals, and there's something beautiful about that, Okay. I mean, there's something not beautiful about that because animals stink and they're gross and, you know, that kind of stuff. But there's something beautiful about a man taking care of God's creation. And that is what I saw here. And that's what we see God as a shepherd. And God has this weird way of using shepherds. If you look in the Bible, Moses, do you remember when Moses left Pharaoh's palace and he had killed someone and he was on the lamb running from the law? What did he do? He was a shepherd. And that's where the great I am met him in the burning bush that was not consumed. 
Do you remember that? So God used Moses, a shepherd, to shepherd his people out of Egypt towards the promised land. There's another guy coming, and we just read this in my son's, uh, uh, son's uh, Bible story book the other night about David. Before he was King David, he was the youngest. He was the runt of the litter of his, of his dad's house, and he was out watching the sheep. And, and the, the prophet Samuel had come to anoint the next king, and he went to all these older sons, and he's like, not this one, not this one, not this one. He gets down to the last son. He's like, don't you have another one? And they're like, yeah, we got another one. He's out in the pasture watching the sheep. Go call him. Calls him out. He's anointed. He eventually becomes king. And he writes this psalm under the inspiration of the Spirit, Psalm 23, which you know you've probably seen it on an afghan or on a pillow or on a plate or maybe even in your Bible even. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. See, here's the thing. God uses shepherds to lead his people, and he himself is a shepherd. And his people are constantly referred to in the Bible as sheep. There's a lot of reasons for that. First off, that imagery is very prevalent. Secondly, and I don't mean to offend you if you're a child of God, most of the time we're just dumb. We, we, we trade in our birthright for the porridge, you know, or for, for, for the soup. We, 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 we constantly turn away from what will satisfy us, which is following the Lord, to sin. Maybe that's not you, but that's definitely me. And that, that urge there. And so the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. And so here's what we have here in the I am statements in John chapter 10. And that's what will be this morning. John chapter 10. We have Jesus being the good shepherd and also the gate, which I'm going to connect to the good shepherd. We have his people as the sheep and you have these thieves and robbers. So if you would, and, and he'd start using, using these figure of, figures of speech to help us understand God's love and who Jesus is. In John chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus goes on to say, and remember, if we get it in context, John chapter 9, which we looked at last week, Jesus has just done this miracle. There was a man born blind, and he gave him sight. He did it in a weird way. <laughs> he spit in the ground, made some mud, and he put it on his eyes. It's weird. It's meant to be weird. And so he put it on his eyes. He goes and wash in the pool of Siloam, and he believed Jesus, and the man can finally see. The Pharisees and religious leaders attack him. They do not want to believe in Jesus. And we get this. He is having a di- now Jesus is having a back and forth with these religious leaders, and he uses the imagery of sheep and a shepherd and thieves and robbers to help them understand, or in some ways to help them understand where they are and help them understand their sin. And in John 10, verse 1, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief or a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure, and this is important, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So he uses a common 
thing that they would see in this time, a sheep and a shepherd and thieves and robbers, something that would be common to their existence to try to give them a spiritual truth. And as keeping with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they don't get it. And I want to make this kind of, I want to help us get it because there's, there's a lot of things going on in this passage. If, for example, you saw somebody at your neighbor's house entering in through the window, what would you assume? You should call the cops. That's a burglary. Where do you usually enter a household from? The door. Exactly right. And if you see some, someone not entering through the door, there is a problem, right? And that's exactly what we have here. There is the, the instance of sheep and a shepherd and an and enclosure in a gate. And so what it is the imagery here is they would have a, a bunch of, they'd have a big area in a town, that was enclosed with one gate, and many different shepherds would pay the gatekeeper, and they would house their sheep in this pen before they took them out to pasture. Let's say, you know, he's been out past, he's out working with the sheep for a while. When they come back in, they would pay this gatekeeper, and they would move the sheep into this sheepfold, okay? And that would not just be, it wasn't like, it was like a garage for sheep, if you will, Okay. You know what I mean? You, you know what a garage is. Most of your garages don't have your cars in it, but let's think. Maybe if you got your stuff out and you were able to get your car in the garage, okay, this is kind of like a sheep garage, all right? And they would pay not just for one group of sheep, but a bunch of groups of sheep would go in. Now, these sheep were in there. There was a gatekeeper there, and he says in verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief or a robber. So there's this enclosed place, the sheep garage, if you will. There's a gatekeeper there. The person who comes in another way besides the door is obviously a thief or a robber. Thief has the connotation of stealing. Robber has the idea of violence. So there are these, there are these people, these thieves and robbers, that are seeking to do harm to the sheep. They don't come in through the door. How do they come in? Through another way. Obviously, let's go ahead and put some names on things real quick. The thieves and the robbers are the false teachers, especially the Pharisees, but any false teacher. We're going to see that kind of played out over and over again. Obviously, the shepherd in this situation is God. And in fact, more particularly, Jesus is going to call himself the good shepherd and the gate. The good shepherd and the gate are going to be related. You're going to see that in a second. We see the sheep are the people. And so here is the idea. There are people, there are those out there who are seeking to destroy the sheep who are kept in the sheep garage in a place of safety. Going on to verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The owner of the house goes in the front door, right, has the keys. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him. That's what you're going to see in verse 3. So the shepherd who has, who's paid the toll, who owns the place, who goes up and he owns the sheep in there, he goes to the front door. And then verse 3, it says, to him the gatekeeper opens. Why? Because he's rightfully supposed to be there. And it goes on, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now this is particularly um, a, should be particularly understood in the context of the Middle East and the way they watch sheep. The sheep actually could recognize the voice of their shepherd because he spent so, many time, so much time with them. 
a very intensive job. He was with the sheep all the time. It's kind of like, have you ever seen those, uh, those, you know, I like to watch a lot of nature shows and, and travel shows. And there was one travel show I was watching where they were in Alaska and they took a husky team, you know, a bunch of the dogs. And they put them on one of those sleighs and got them going. Those dogs love to run, and those dogs know, know who's in control. You can call out the commands, and they will follow. Those people who own those dogs, they're with those dogs all the time. That is their basic livelihood, and you see that in the Middle East. That is what is happening with these sheep and the shepherd. They are intimately related with one another, so much so that they can hear. They hear his voice, and they recognize it. It's kind of like this. You wake your kid up in the morning. They know your voice. Or better yet, when the kid's doing something wrong, you ever notice that when you, when you get, think back when you were a kid, you could just hear, <coughs> or, 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 and you know that was your parent? Like you got that, okay? These sheep could hear the voice of the shepherd and you would think if we were having to drive sheep, I'd, if I had to get them going somewhere, I would start from behind them, right? You can't, you could barely get kindergartners to follow behind you in a line, okay? I got one. I know they're all like, yeah, okay. Just go to a school. They have to make them like put their arms like this or put their hands on their heads or cover their mouth to get down the hallway. And the teacher's walking like this and they're following behind like this. You imagine sheep. If I had to move a bunch of sheep and you had to move a bunch of sheep, what would you do? Be behind them. Go, go sheep. No, not this way. Go. But in the, in the Middle East, what they would do is the sheep would call out and it could be a bunch of sheep mixed in together because in this pen would be a ton of different sheep from different shepherds, and the shepherd of the sheep, would, they would hear his voice, and they would know who he was talking about. They would know that that is their leader. So what we have here is Jesus using an imagery to say the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep, the people of God, when they hear Jesus' voice, they recognize it as true and follow him. There are many people who hear the message of Christ. They hear about Jesus, and they maybe tip the hat to it, okay? I've, I, I'll buy that. I'll at least believe it, okay? I'll believe the facts, okay? Even if I have a few doubts. I mean, it seems a bit far-fetched that this guy would rise again, and it seems a bit far, far-fetched that he was born of a virgin. But I'll go along with just the basic premise of that. And there are some out there who hear it and find it to be complete foolishness. And here is what separates those people from those who follow Christ. When you hear the story of Jesus, it even if it sounds far-fetched and far out, you hear a tune of truth in it. When you hear the story of Christ, you say, I understand. I understand my need of a Savior. To some people, the idea of a Savior is weakness. To those who know, really know humanity, you know we need a Savior. You know the wickedness that's in the world. 
You see it. You know why you know the wickedness that's in the world? Because you see the wickedness in your own heart. Even when you do the right things, a lot of times it's motivated, motivated by selfish ambition, self-preservation, and even greed. It's what can I get from doing this good thing? So many times that is our situation. But those who, who are the people of God, when they hear the story, they know that a Savior is necessary. They know that they can't trust in themselves because they've let themselves down again and again and again. They know that if God doesn't intervene, there's no hope. You probably heard this from people. Man, only God can judge me. You ever heard that before? It's like a, like a big thing people say. Don't you judge me. Only God can judge me. If only God, if only God can judge you, there's not a lawyer in the world that's going to take you on, try to defend you, because <laughs> you're guilty. This should actually scare you. Only God can judge you. That's worse than me judging you, because he knows. He knows, man. He doesn't just know what you do. He knows your thoughts behind what you do. And the people of God, when they hear Christ, that, they hear his voice and they say, that's right, I want to follow. And the Pharisees here, he's saying this to them because they are hearing the literal words of the Son of God. Like, they are hearing the words being spoken from his lips. And they are trying to crush him and they want to kill him and they want no part of him. And they said, we don't have room in our lives for you. But the sheep of God, who aren't, maybe aren't as smart or streetwise as the other people, the sheep, okay? It's not like the, <laughs> we are not the intellectuals of his pasture, okay? We are not <laughs> the rich, beautiful ones of his pasture, although we're looking good this morning, okay? We are the sheep, the stinking livestock who left to their own devices, would be eaten by wolves and would walk off a cliff. Just dumb, defenseless animals. And this, but here's the good thing. We have this great shepherd who, when we hear his voice, like, mm, I recognize that. It's like football is going, going down this weekend. I know many of you know that. Many of you are thinking about that. Many of you know that there's more football coming today with professional football. You ever been in that situation? where something happens in the, in the game, you don't even, like, talk to the person next to you. You just hold your hand up, high five. Like, you look at each other, you point it like, mm-hmm, okay, that's right. When the sheep hear the shepherd's voice, they're like, okay, that's right. You know that's right. That's the guy. And so what we have here is when he has brought, and it goes on and says, to the gatekeeper, in verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls out to his own sheep by name and leads them out. By name is interesting. It would tend to show that the, the shepherds that time, they spent so much time with their sheep, they didn't call them sheep, one, four, seven, five, okay? Or sheep, this one. Because they're all like the same, pretty much. But this shepherd spent so much time with them, he knows their names. And there was an idea here that it was quite possible that most of the Palestinian shepherds of this time would actually have nicknames for their sheep. Which we kind of get. Because we, 
we're animal crazy people in, in, in this country, okay? We name our animals. We monogram things for our animals. We got beds for our animals. We have beds for animals, and they sleep in our bed, and, and that is how it rolls. And these shepherds, they were with the sheep so much, he knows them by name, and he calls them. They hear. They know. There's an intimate relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. And then we go on verse 4, but when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. That's what the shepherd would do. He would take him out of the sheepfold. They'd hear amongst all the other sheep there, amongst all the people. They would, they would hear the shepherd's voice, and they'd follow him. He'd lead them out, and he'd just keep going, calling them out. And they'd just keep following after him. They'd hear his voice, and they'd recognize it as true. They'd recognize him as the one to go before them, and they would follow him. He goes before them, and they follow him, for they know his voice. In verse 5, it says, A stranger they won't follow, but they will flee from them, from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So the sheep know the, the shepherd's voice so intimately that they hear the truth, and other people who speak a different voice, they don't know, and they flee from those people. And I want you to get this. There are so many people, and I've encountered them, that are so worried that they're being duped by some giant conspiracy. Whether that is a Christian conspiracy or whether that's a world conspiracy, that they think everybody's out to get them all the time and they're going to fall for something that's going to endanger their faith or endanger their life and they're a part of this big worldwide scheme and they're going to have the mark of the beast or whatever weirdness you want to put out there. And let me tell you this. You should be concerned, more concerned about hearing the shepherd's voice because if you hear the shepherd's voice, you'd recognize the strangers. And I get it real, like you're watching, and they give you an example. You turn on the television, and you hear a preacher. Those who know the word of God and know their Jesus, when that person is telling you, if you follow Jesus, he's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, and you're going to be like, Bull! He'll give you life, though. He's there in the broken. That's a lie from the pit. Jesus wants you to have a BMW. No, Jesus wants you to love him because he's better than a BMW. I'm sick so I don't have enough faith. No, you're sick so the glory of God could be seen in your life. That's not as much fun. They have better hair and better clothes and a better building. It's a lie. The sheep, when they hear that, it's like playing the wrong note when you're playing with a bunch of people. I played guitar for years. There's this thing when you're leading worship. There's these things called a capo, okay? And you put it on the guitar in certain places, and it changes of the guitar so you can play in different keys with it with the same kind of chord progressions okay we're not going to get too deep into this okay i don't know much more than that all right so that's that's where we're going to go okay if you want to know more clint's down here i'd be glad to tell you and amy J, because she's a music teacher okay find them they'll tell you so here's the thing there's several times where i've been capoed in a spot and go to play and everybody is playing one set of notes and i'm playing the other you know what that sounds like garbage. And that is with the people of God when they're concerned about, so don't be, this is what I'm getting at, don't be concerned about falling for other voices. Be concerned about hearing the right voice because if you're hearing the right voice of your shepherd and you hear it 
clearly when you come to those people who are strangers, it's going to sound like me, capoed on three. Everybody's playing in a different key, and it's going to be like, ooh, that's not right. It's going to sound like those people at the beginning of American Idol who think they can sing. And it sounds like they're murdering a yak. That ain't right. That is what we're talking about here. Don't be so concerned you're going to get duped. Because if you hear his voice, and that is what you should be concerned with, is hearing his voice, and his voice is seen and is testified to in the revelation of God, which is the word of God, you won't be duped if you know his voice. Because everything else is going to sound like, "Mm, that just ain't right. Even if it's close, because there's several people that are close, but they're not truth teachers. The Pharisees were close, but they missed it. Why? Because the sheep, they hear their shepherd's voice and they say, yes. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God to salvation. And then we go on here. We have a shift. Verse 6. Verse 6 is, is a funny thing. Um, it, it continues the process of people just not understanding Jesus when he talks. Verse 6 says, This figure of speech, Jesus, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. It's kind of like me sitting in a trigonometry class. Seems right. I don't know. Okay, just just okay, and they just can't get it. And then Jesus switches tactics in verse seven. So Jesus again said to them, "Truly, truly, Amen, Amen." I want you to catch this. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And so he changes image here. He says, not only that, I'm the gate to the sheep. Now we talked about this sheep pen, and there's a gatekeeper, and, and, and they would call out a sheep, and he would lead out before them. This is a different area he's talking about as being the gate. They would move out of town after the shepherd would call his sheep out, you know, hey, sheep, and they'd hear his voice, and be like, hey, that's the shepherd, okay? And they would follow the shepherd out into the pasture. And then at night, they would find a little place, maybe a cutout place in the rock or something up against some place which had no way in or out except for one entrance. And that at nighttime and would keep the sheep safe. They would put them in this little fold, if you will, or a pen or something like that, and it would just be one set of sheep. And he would move, the shepherd would move them in there, and there would be one way in and one way out, and the shepherd would lay across the entrance. You know why we do that? There would be one way in and one way out. I know this very well from my years of youth ministry. They have these things that are from the pit of hell called lock-ins. And it's an awful idea. I don't know why we continue to do them. But you say, hey, let's stay up all night. Not fun. Okay? You get a bunch of teenagers, which is fun to hang out with them. I enjoy that. You're hanging out with them, and you say, let's stay up all night, have fun, and that'll be great. The problem is staying up all night, all right? 
And what you do eventually, about three or four in the morning, they become so tired, they start, the guys want to start punching each other, and the girls are in having fights and crying about each other. Usually, that's the way it goes, okay? And that's just the that's just life. If that offends you, I'm sorry. That's the way it is, okay? So, what you would do is about four o'clock when it's about to turn south on you, okay? When they're about to, there's about to be like a Lord of the Flies type takeover. You say, guys on one side of the room, girls on the other side of the room. We're gonna lay down for a few minutes. And I remember very vividly, one of my first ones, I laid in the doorway between the guys and the girls. Because I didn't want any church love happening. You got me? And so to get, <laughs> for the guys to get to the ladies, you've got to go through me. And for the girls to get over there, you've got to go through me. You have to step over me. I'm keeping y'all safe from each other, Okay. <laughs> I'm keeping you safe from me, okay, because <laughs> you try this, I will kill you, all right? And that's what you have here is the shepherd is the gate. He's the way in to the protection of the fold, and he is the one who keeps those thieves and robbers out. And so when Jesus says, I am the gate, I am the door of the sheep, it's the door is the shepherd in most situations. He ain't letting people in, and only his come in. So he says it very clearly in verse 8, all who came to me before, all who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. And he could be talking about any myriad of false teachers. If you look at the history of Israel, there's been false teachers and false prophets all around. There's been false messiahs, people who claim to be the messiah, people who led revolts. And if you look at the inter intertestamental period, you had that happen in the Maccabean period in, 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 the old, right in the time between the Old and New Testaments where they're trying to rebel against Rome. You see people being false messiahs just claiming to follow me and I'll know the way. You see false prophets all throughout the Bible who are telling you when God says it's sin, the false prophets are saying, it's not really sin. God's not mad at you. Everything's fine. That's been going on. That's not anything new, by the way. It's been going on since the Old Testament. Because they all think the prophets who are yelling and screaming about sin, like, those guys are crazy. Follow us and find a happier, more cuddly God. Just come on. And it's a lie. Why believe a lie? And we also see false teachers here, even with the Pharisees and Sadducees. We know this. They, they really come to kill, steal, and destroy. You know why they're religious? They're religious to get money. They, their heart is full with greed, not full with the glory of God. And so what we have here is we have, he says, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me, all the false prophets, all the false teachers, even the ones who are before you now, all those who seek to steal from you and seek to hurt you, rob you with violence, they came before, but the sheep did not listen to those people. Why? They're protected by the shepherd. Verse 9, he says again, I am the door. you got to go through me to get to my sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. There's several little phrases I want to look at in that verse. First off, all those who enter through me. How do you enter through Jesus? What does it mean? The Bible talks about us being in Christ. What does that look like? So here's the deal. As the, as the door, he's saying you have to go through me to get in. 
How did you have to go through the shepherd? You had to, he had to let you in or you had to even step over him to get in. It's all about him. He was the gatekeeper. He was the door. And here's how we know this. The will of God is for us to believe in the Son of God and all that he's done as the gate. And when we believe in him, we are in him. So belief is not just mental assent to the facts of the gospel. It's a trusting in a person. And that person is beautiful and wonderful and powerful. And he is the good shepherd. And he does what is right. And so believing in the sheep or in the shepherd, believing in Jesus is the way to enter into the people of God, enter into the kingdom of God, enter into salvation. We've talked a lot about life in the I am statements, but now we have the idea of saved. We talk about this all the time. If you've been around a church culture before in your life, you hear people talk about it regularly. I've been saved. You know something? You can talk about your salvation experience in such a way that people will be weirded out and not understand anything you're talking about. Let me give you an example. Oh, brother, let me tell you. I was lost in nature's night, fast bound by my sins, and all my transgressions. When have you used the word transgressions, right? You can use that, right? So you say all this stuff, and oh, I, but my, I saw a heavenly light, and I believed in the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, and his blood washed me clean, and from there I believed and repented of my sins, and therefore I walk in the heavenly line towards the new Jerusalem. And people are like, What? are you talking about? Saved. What is that? You're in grave danger. Our sin puts us in grave danger. The gravest, the biggest danger that you face is sin. Do you know why? It's not because you won't live your best life. It's because, because of sin, the holy, just wrath of God is upon you. He will punish you in your sin, and that punishment will be terrible, and it will be eternal. You think, well, this is a finite sin. How could it be eternal? Because you sinned against an eternal God, and he will punish you relentlessly forever. Rightfully, it won't be like that lashing out in anger that you do when you just had enough. No, he's long-suffering and patient, and you will get the punishment that you do for the sins you do. You, he will not punish you haphazardly. He will punish you for what, what you've done, and he will punish you unjustly. And you'll even probably, even though you hate it, you'll even agree with it because you'll see it. Not now, but in the final day. And to be saved is to be saved from those thieves and robbers who want you to follow another way from your own heart that wants to follow your own way. The shepherd, the shepherd comes to save. You're in grave danger. Christ is the only way. Jesus is the only way to enter into him because at the cross, he takes care of sin's punishment. He's a substitute. The good shepherd, we're going to talk about he lays down his life for his sheep. We're going to see that next week. What does he do? He bears the sin that you deserve to bear, the punishment you deserve to bear. And the Father's wrath, when it got dark as he's on the cross, it was 
a symbol and a showing that the whole weight of sin and the wrath of God came down on the Son of God so that his sheep could be free and know forgiveness of sins and to be saved from the horrible wrath of God forever. That is the message of the shepherd. He's the door. So when you enter into him, you leave the punishment of sin, the wrath of God, and you enter into the people of God, and you are no longer under the danger of the thieves and the robbers and your own sin. You are now under the protection of the fold, and you belong, which goes on in the verses. You see this. It goes on in verse 9. I am the door. If you enter by me, you... If anyone enters by me, if you believe in me and my shed blood and my sacrifice, you'll be saved. You won't have danger. You will have passed from the danger to the new life. And then it goes on to say, I will go in and out and find pasture. So the idea is this. Once you enter in by faith, by trusting in the works of Christ, then you can go in and out, which means you belong. Because here's the deal. Follow the image. The shepherd is laying at the entrance to this little pen. The sheep are on one side, the danger is on the other side. If you, gotta, if you want to get to the sheep, you got to go through the shepherd. If you enter in through Jesus, the shepherd, you cross over him, you come by him, you are now part of the people, the sheep. You're part of the flock. And as part of the flock, you know what that means? You follow the shepherd in and out. So the next morning when the, when the rooster would crow or whatever, when the sun come up and the shepherd woke up and he got up and he's like, hey, sheep. And they're like, eh, eh, eh. okay. They hear his voice and he said, let's go in, let's go out. And he'd take them out. And then it got dark and got dangerous again. And the shepherd would be like, let's go. And they'd be like, eh, and okay. And then they'd run. My sheep sounds not good, okay. I understand that. I recognize it. And they would take him back in and he would lay down again and he would protect him again. And so here's the thing. To enter in through the gate is to enter into the people of God. And to have a place of belonging. I found something out that broke my heart the other day. There is a, a, a man who found out that most kids, when, they in, when they're in foster care, and they go from house to house, they don't own any, most, mostly anything except for the clothes on their backs. Some of them will have a couple of changes of clothes. And can you imagine just not having your stuff, first off, how that's got to feel? If you've ever been in a situation where you're the, uh, you've been flying an airline lost your bag <laughs> and you're like thinking, I'm going to have to wash my underwear in the sink because nothing's happening, you know, and I have, to borrow tooth, I have to borrow one of those hotel toothbrushes that is, is like, it's like a Brillo pad strapped to plastic, you know, and you're like, I'm going to make my gums bleed. So you don't have anything, and so you're having to be at the kindness of the people. I just think about this. These, these kids in foster care, they show up with what they got. And a lot of times, the stuff that they own, it comes to them not in a suit. When they, if they have stuff, it comes to the new, new foster home in like a garbage bag or a paper bag. That's really dehumanizing in so many ways. And there's a gentleman who has started this, I don't know if it's a minister, I don't know if he's a believer, but he started this good work in which he gets, he finds old luggage and he started buying them from Goodwill and then people found out what he was doing, they started donating them and he would give a suitcase to a foster kid so that at least they can know they're loved and they have some dignity. And I want you to see this. They crave that sense of belonging, rightfully so. We all like to have that sense of home, that sense of belonging. 
And when we enter in to the shepherd, we have a new home. We belong to the people of God. And I want you, I want, I'm going to pose this to you. If you're in a church situation and you don't feel like you belong, there could be many different reasons, but you need to check first off. If you don't feel like you belong, ask the question, am I a believer? I ask it because believers belong with the people. And if you feel weird, you know this, you can enter in through the shepherd, through the gate, and you can find a place to belong amongst the people of God. And that's beautiful. Like This is where you belong. You belong with the people of God. You belong worshiping with the people of God. You belong in the community of God. And that's and the ones who are led by the shepherd. That is the beauty of this, that not only do you enter in through the gate, but you belong because you've entered in through the gate. And then it goes on, and it says he goes in and out. This is again in verse 9. And it says that he will go in and out and find pasture. What's pasture? What is that? It's what that donkey was doing. The, the shepherd of the donkey, I don't know if I can say that, but my neighbor who had a donkey was leading his animals to find stuff to eat. It was helping him out, yeah, because it was clearing some debris and rubbish. But that animal was like, yeah, new stuff to eat. It's like when, you were, when I was in college and I would go home and my mom would have gone to the grocery store for me. And she'd be like, this is food for you to go <laughs> to take back to college. And I was like, yes. And my roommate and I used to, like, we would leave at the same time, and we would pack our car full of what his mom gave him and what my mom gave me, and when we get back to college, we would unload the coolers in the back, and we're like, Pop-Tarts, yes, okay? Ramen, yes, meat, yes, yes, we get to eat, okay? And that's what it was like. It was like, oh, man, we got, we can live now, Okay? That's what the, it was for them to go in and out and find pastures to find the place of provision and nourishment. And I want you to know that when you enter into the gate, you have a God that cares about you and will provide for you. Now, what does that look like? Does it look, does it look pain-free? No. Go back to Psalm 23 just for a minute. Good shepherd, remember that? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. <laughs> The shepherd might lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. He might lead you to the cancer diagnosis. He might lead you to that. But he will be with you, and he will provide for you even at death. He will be with you. He will not leave you. Oh, to enter into the gate is to know salvation. It's to know belonging. It's to know the provision of God that no matter what, he is your shepherd. He is the guiding, leading, providing force of your life. And it's the protection from the thieves and the robbers. Because if you look in verse 10, you will see a passage you've probably heard before. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So here's the idea that there's safety in the fold. When you enter into the gate, there's safety from the thieves and robbers. Not only do you hear their voice silly and know it's not the voice of the shepherd, but he protects you from the thieves and the robbers, those who would try to pull you away from Christ to believe other things. He protects us from the false messiahs, the false prophets, and the false teachers. He, these folks, false teachers, they, don't care, they care very little about the sheep, and they care mostly about themselves. The good shepherd cares about the glory of God and the provision of his people. 
And there are many who seek to destroy and devour your faith. But the good shepherd, who may say strong things and may discipline and may correct and may even have to break a leg every now and then to get you back on the right course, is the one who is working all things for your good and for his glory. And so there's a protection. Now I want you to know something. The thieves here, you've heard this maybe applied, the, the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is immediately talking about the false teachers in the immediate context. However, we go back to John chapter 8. Do you know what the false teachers are doing? Jesus says, you're doing the work of your father. And they said, our father's Abraham. Now he says, your father's the devil. Which like, if you want to start something, <laughs> call somebody up, like, your father's the devil, and hang up. It's going to be fun, okay? Imagine the next time you're at a family get-together, that's my Uncle Joe, that's my dad. No, your father's the devil. You need to get it together. Don't do that, okay? I'm just saying that just, that's pretty hard language, right? And so what are they doing here? They're following their father, the devil, who has been a, a thief and a killer and a liar and a destroyer from the beginning. And whether or not they realize it or not, and the Pharisees actually probably many of them thought they were doing good. They were following after Satan. And to be left out of the fold is to be subject to many dangers from many different people, many different belief systems, many different people who don't seek your best interests, but they seek their own. But to come in is to not know theft, and violence, and destruction. It's to know life. And this is beautiful. The thief comes not only... The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that you might have life. Now, first off, we stop there. We know he's been talking about eternal life, life forever, life after this life, life that goes on forever and eternity. But that doesn't end there because it goes on to life now. In verse 10, it says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. Go back a couple of weeks ago. You may remember this. The Pharisees, their life was so full of themselves, they didn't have any room for Jesus. And I gave you this, this, think, this image to think about. A little kid with a little juice cup. And he sets it on the floor, and he's got the jug of juice right there. And he manages to get the screw cap off, right? And then he <laughs> fixed that. You know, have you ever put a, a, one of those big water things on one of the coolers? You know, before, that's what it is to a little kid. <laughs> He's like getting the Kool-Aid, and you know it's going to be bad. And I've watched this so many times. They get it, and they pour it over, and what happens? It fills the cup up and runs over everywhere. There's two ways to think about it. Those who are not of the shepherd, they don't have any room for his teaching. They have made up their mind. They've made up their worldview. They've made up their heart's desire. I don't have any room for Jesus. There's no way he can correct me. There's no way he can teach me. But those of us who see and hear the tune of truth in Jesus' voice and know him to be Lord, know him to be God, know him to be the Messiah, what he does is he not only gives us life, but he gives us life that overflows, life now life that you were created for. You were not created for yourself. You were not created for your own pleasure. You were not created so that people could think you were hip by what you put on your Instagram. 
You were not created for people to think that you go to great places and you're a great person and, and you aren't created for yourself. You were created for the glory of God. You were created, created by God for God. And to know God through the good shepherd, through the gate, to enter in by faith is to know your purpose. And knowing him is life abundant. It is not life easy. In fact, it's difficult because you must abandon yourself to follow him completely. And if you don't do that, you can't come to him at all. But when you come, you find out what you were made for. You were not made for yourself, but you were made for his glory. And he gives you life abundant. And you learn how to love. And you learn that life is not about yourself. And you get to pour your life out into other people. And you find the joy of, the, of knowing other people, the joy of fellowship amongst the believers. You find the joy of being led through the valleys of the shadow by the, by the good hand that is just moving you through. You know in the darkness when you hear his voice, when the darkness falls, and it will fall, folks. You hear that voice and you know it to be true and you can walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There is so much more life in Jesus than there is fun and joy and sin. He's come. Enter in by faith. You belong. You're provided for. You are saved from your enemies and the threats and you are kept in your darkest moments and you will be given life eternally but life now abundantly, which is full to the brim, overflowing. It may not be the life you sought for yourself, but quite honestly, how's that working out? Is that working out good for you? His life in him is life abundant. We're going to do this. This is how we're going to respond today. Clint's going to come up, our our. Communion team's going to come up. We're going to take communion. If you're a believer in Christ and you know that abundant life, you can take these elements with us. It represents Christ. If you're in a place now, listen to me. Listen to me. If you're in a place now where you are in sin and you have not, and you've been living in unbelief, enter through the gate. Turn from your sin belief. Next step would be showing that. September the 24th, not this weekend, but next, we're having a baptismal service. If you're interested, if you've turned your life to Christ, if you've repented of your sins and you believed in him and you've had a change, I want, I want to invite you to come express that to the people of God through baptism, which is a symbol of entering into the sheep's fold. And if you want to know more about that, contact an elder, myself, Kevin, Tom. I'd love to talk to you about that. But as we take this, I want you to, as we look at the elements, we're going to take it in a minute. I want you to pray. And I want you to thank God that in Christ there is abundant life. And let's make this a joyful moment. Take a few minutes in prayer as we prepare for it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had broken it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. In like manner, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant of my blood. Take and drink. As often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, help us know you. Help those who are outside enter through the gate.
And God, we pray that we would know life and life abundantly in Jesus' name. Amen.